Welcome to the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Series Podcast. Each week, we'll learn from leaders who are driving change and making an impact. Now here's your host, the CEO of the Youngstown Publishing Company, Jeff Leo Herman. So today we are joined by Frank LaRose. He is Ohio's 51st Secretary of State. So Frank, thanks for joining us on the Brain Gain Podcast. Hey, Jeff, I've been looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm great to see you. We we had a great conversation at the Mocha House here in Youngstown, and we're going to pick up from where we left off. Does that sound good? Absolutely. And as you can see, I'm here in snowy Columbus at the Secretary of State's office, but really look forward to getting back up to the valley and, and seeing you again in person soon. Well, and you're 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 essentially local, right? You grew up just west of here in Copley, correct? Absolutely. Yeah. So grew up in Copley Township, Summit County boy my whole life, and really just last year decided to move down to Columbus. Uh, my wife had been urging it, and she was right. Uh, having your desk 150 miles away from your bed uh, doesn't work out, and I was just missing too much time with my children with the commute back and forth. But my heart is always in Northeast Ohio, uh, but it makes sense to live closer to the office now. Oh, it sure does. I mean, commuting is stressful, and like you said, games and events for the kids, it, uh, it's really helpful to be, you know, have home and work in the same community. I described it like this. When I was in the Army, the Army told me to move to Fort Campbell or Fort Bragg or Fort Benning, but those places, uh, you know, they were great places to live for the time being. But uh, again, they, they were never sort of my hometown. Columbus is a great place to live, but but Northeast Ohio is still home to me. Absolutely. So then I want to get into our the regular set of questions we ask. As a child, did you have any clue you'd be Ohio's Secretary of State? Did you always aspire to have a career in government? No, absolutely not. Although it's funny because now when I talk to some of my old teachers or coaches or Boy Scout leaders, they, they they will tell me that they they predicted that I would end up uh, in this in this line of work or something similar. But you know, as a kid, there were two things that that I really loved. First of all, I worked on a farm in Copley, and and I loved that. I, I loved the, the the lifestyle. I loved the hard work. I loved the sense of satisfaction of seeing a a job well done. And so uh, you know, if I could have earned a living or inherited a family farm or whatever else, I would have I would have enjoyed pursuing that. In fact, to this day, I still. I uh, go back every year and help when it's time to bale hay several oh, yeah. times a year at the farm I grew up working on because I just, I, I enjoy it. It's good to get out there in the sun and, and sweat a little bit and throw some bales of hay and stack them up in the barn. And that kind yeah. of, it's tough on the back. You know, it's, it's good exercise, oh, uh, yeah. but uh, I'll tell you what, uh, just, you know, sitting on that tractor, running the hay rake or, or running the baler or whatever else. It's just, for me, it's, it's very satisfying work, but, uh, but again, I, I, I Uh, The other thing that I was passionate about from a a young age was becoming a soldier. And I was mentored uh, by a young, by by a a gentleman uh, when I was a young man who was the leader of my Boy Scout troop. And uh, he had served in World War II. In fact, he's still with us. He's in his late 90s at this point, lives in Fairlawn, Ohio, and is to this day still my hero. I mean, this man's a a concentration camp liberator. And uh, and those are the kind of stories that I got to hear sitting around the campfire at, at Boy Scout camp at Camp Manitowoc. And so uh, I always, you know, from probably the age of 14 on said I wanted to be a soldier. And uh, I fulfilled that dream by enlisting, enlisting in the Army when I turned 18. And, and that was right at the present time. We, that was when we were uh, just starting the Gulf War. Is that correct? Right after 9-11? No, it was actually in 1997. Uh, and oh, so okay. it was, um, it was well before that. In fact, uh, we were, um, uh, sort of in that, in that transitional period between the, 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 the first Gulf war of the, of the Bush administration, uh, and sort of the, the, the Clinton administration years, but not long after I enlisted, 
was when uh, some of the uh, the peacekeeping operations in the Balkans began. I served I Kosovo, for example, uh, for a year. Um, and then I actually was was going through the special forces training when September 11th happened, which was actually a really interesting experience. I had already volunteered to become a Green Beret and gone through the tryouts. And so I'd been selected for the course yet, uh, but yet I hadn't uh, finished the, the Green Beret training. And so I was in kind of that uh, that period between getting selected and, and actually earning my, my Green Beret. And um, it, it, I'll tell you, it added a new emphasis to the training that we were doing for sure, because we knew uh, that almost uh, with certainty that when we completed that training that we would be deploying to combat zones. Was there an extra sense of urgency or a sense of mission? I, I, I imagine the air all around you was, was you know, very intense, right? Or focused. Yeah, focused, but 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 also, um, I guess, enthusiastic. Uh, remember, I was with uh, I was with people that um, had volunteered to serve uh, in the special forces. Uh, mm -hmm. They were excited about the opportunity to serve on a special forces A team uh, and to do the work that uh, um, that, that we were you know that, that we were training to do. Uh, it was almost like uh, your team's going to the Super Bowl and and and, and you're at practice, right? And and right. so. That was kind of the, the air of excitement and anticipation uh, and um, uh, certainly not taking it lightly, the, the very serious work that we do. But but we were excited to have the opportunity to prove ourselves on the battlefield. And, and, and we most of us got that. <laughs> right. Uh, absolutely. What, what leadership lessons did you uh, learn from your career in the military? Too many to count. Uh, <laughs> but but there's one that, that I've, I've talked about a lot recently. I sent a letter to all the newly elected office holders in Ohio. And part of my, my work as Secretary of State, when we certify the state election, uh, I, I decided to send a congratulations note in a bipartisan way, Republicans and Democrats, everybody who'd won the election. And one of the lessons I talked about was something that, that I'll always treasure from the Army. And it's a very simple thing, but I think that there's a, a, a profound meaning behind it. And that is that in the Army, the culture has always been that the leaders eat last. Um, if you're the if you're the company commander, uh, you don't eat until the entire company has eaten. If you're the platoon sergeant or the company first sergeant, you don't eat until until the entire unit has eaten. Same for the the, the battalion commander. In fact, I knew in some units uh, the battalion commander would 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 wait for a call from the mess sergeant uh, before he would even consider uh, going to eat. And it was just part of the culture. It was symbolic of, of something though. Leadership is not about elevating yourself above others. Leadership is not about um, sort of telling others what to do, although sometimes you, you, you have to do that by necessity. Leadership is about accepting uh, a, a position where you uh, place yourself in a position of being a servant leader, where, where, where you recognize that the well-being of your subordinates is one of your top priorities. But leadership is about getting a group of people to accomplish something together. And so, you know, it, again, in the Army, what that shows, uh, especially those junior soldiers, is that the, the commander cares about making sure that you're fed before he feeds himself. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's a symbolic thing uh, about servant leadership, about, about leadership as a humbling experience, not an elevating experience. Right. Now, how do servant leaders, so, you know, the perception of the Army, very top-down, you know, very hierarchical, uh, the how do servant leaders get the respect and, and command uh, essentially and, and kind of issue orders that might not be as, as uh, 
that people might not be as interested in fulfilling them. I don't know. It's yeah, it, it's interesting that um, you know often there's a perception uh, in, in the military. Uh, there's a perception in the civilian world that in the military it's this very kind of uh, um, very top down, very hierarchical. And of course, there is that that rank structure for a reason. But in many ways, it, it actually is not as constraining uh, as people think. In many ways, it's actually quite liberating because what it does is it gives you the framework. Uh, you know who your boss is. You know who your boss's boss is. There's no ambiguity. Uh, but one of the other things that that the U.S. military does differently th than a lot of other uh, th than a lot of other uh, uh, militaries around the world is that they really empower the, those subordinate leaders at at each level uh, to be creative to accomplish the mission. Th this is why uh, it, it's part. It's also part of the culture of the U.S. military. That whether it's the the top commander or whether it's the lowest ranking sergeant uh, or even the privates that serve below that sergeant, uh, that everybody in, in in the unit understands the mission, right? Mm -hmm. Understands the top line. This is what we need to accomplish. And that way, if uh, if there are losses, if someone goes down, then you can pick up and carry on the mission. And so it's that idea. Uh, that that everybody is able to step up into the position above them and, and carry on the work. But again, the the, the real thing uh, that that that, um, that you talked about was inspiring people to want to follow you. And it's right. important to understand that that leadership kind of has two tracks, right? There's there are leaders that people follow because they have to. Uh, there are leaders that people follow because they have a rank on their their collar or because they have a certain job title in the corporate world. Um, and, and we've all worked for leaders like that, that you don't necessarily respect, but you followed because you had to. That's not a good working environment. And that's not how you get the best out of people. Uh, there's There are also those leaders uh, that, that people follow because they want to, because they're mm -hmm. inspired by that leader. Um, and, and to me, um, that's something that nobody is is born with, right? You, you learn how, how to do that, how to inspire a group of people. This is what any good football coach can tell you, right? Or any good corporate leader, uh, for that matter. For that matter, any military leader. Uh, and, and to me, it starts with leading by example. You, you don't ever ask people to do something that you yourself are unwilling to do. Right. Uh, and again, leading by example means you don't say, hey, guys, go over there and dig this hole. You pick up a shovel. Grab and say, a shovel and go with them. <laughs> follow me. We're going to go dig a hole, right? right? And that doesn't mean that, 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 that the person in charge can spend you know, all of his or her time uh, doing sort of the grunt work, uh, but what, but you have to be willing to lead by example. Absolutely. Uh, from that standpoint, oftentimes we learn from our mistakes. Have there been leadership mistakes you've made or anything you'd care to share from that standpoint? Any leader that tells you that they haven't made mistakes uh, is, <laughs> is lying. I'm trying to think of a, a specific example. Uh, you know, th there were um, there were certainly some times uh, in the military that, that I um, was not as clear with my subordinates as I should have been. And that's something that I always try to um, not replicate in, in my current work. I think that people deserve clarity. They deserve to know what is their mission? What is the definition of mission success? What is the timeline? Uh, who's accountable? It's that thing about when um, when everybody's in charge, in reality, nobody's in nobody's charge. Nobody's in charge, you right. Need, you need to let people know clearly you are responsible for this. Uh, you are accountable for this. You'll get the blame if it goes wrong, or more importantly, uh, you'll get the adulation uh, if, if it goes well. And so I think that sort of command clarity 
uh, is something that I've had to learn over the years and something that, uh, that I kind of uh, aspire to, to, to have in my, in my current role as it relates to the work I do with my team. Right. Well, you talked about ambiguity or there's no ambiguity, which oftentimes for kids, ambiguity, it's an opportunity, right? Because if you see ambiguity, it's unclear. People might be feeling around for what's next. If you can come in and introduce the ambiguity or, you know, eliminate the ambiguity and, and introduce clarity, that really gets everyone moving in the same direction. Is that? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and again, it's, it's not it's not as much constraining as it is liberating because- right. Uh, there's also this idea that that we, we should uh, remove unnecessary decisions from our lives, right? Uh, and, and interestingly, uh, one person who I heard uh, speak on this uh, at one point was former President Obama. He, he even mm-hmm. talked about to the point where he told the, the the White House kitchen staff, "Don't ask him what he wants to eat. Here's a list of stuff he'll eat. He doesn't really care. Just serve him whatever. Like don't don't ask me every day what I want to eat. I don't want to ma- I don't want to make unnecessary decisions. Just bring me whatever's next on the list. Even down to his attire, where he organized his closet, where it's just like here's a dozen different suits, and I just pick the next one each day. Because as a leader, especially somebody at the level of the U.S. presidency, you have to make so many consequential decisions just remove the unnecessary decisions from your life. Actually, one of the things I missed about the army is I never had to think about what I wore each day. I, yeah. Whatever clean uniform was in the closet and I, and I, and I put it on. And so it's the same thing with that within an organization. If you can liberate people to focus on the real task that they've got to do and, and not sort of the, the minutia of the sort of day-to-day, you know, office environment or, or whatever else, that's important and give them clarity. This is what I expect you to accomplish. Uh, this is the timeline. These are the tools you have. This is what def- this is the definition of success uh, for this particular mission. And then, you know, let set people free to, to go be creative about how they're going to get that work done. Right, right. I mean, we can quote Jocko Willink, right? Discipline equals freedom. You yeah, listen to his and, podcast? Act, yeah, I have actually. And, and yeah, what a wild man. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So uh, we've done impressions of him in the past, but we won't go there today. The Brain Gain is a collaborative effort, and we'd like to thank our headlining sponsors, including Farmers National Bank, Sweeney Chevrolet Buick GMC, the Mahoning Valley Manufacturers Coalition, and Southwoods Health. Also included are Eastern Gateway Community College, PNC Bank, the Moransky Companies, the Mahoning County Career and Technical Center, the Youngstown Business Incubator, Simon Roofing, the DeBartolo Corporation, Youngstown State University, and Junior Achievement of the Mahoning Valley. So from the standpoint of what you're focused on today, I really want to understand what your office is doing to help entrepreneurs. So how can we really, you know, our commitment is to build a culture of entrepreneurship and promote workforce development here in the Mahoning Valley. Obviously, we have a lot of great momentum happening with everything in Lordstown, Uh, What are you doing to help promote entrepreneurs across the state of Ohio? So, Jeff, there are two things that we do at the Secretary of State's office. I mean, it can sometimes, you know, people can overcomplicate things, especially in government. But we do two things. We help people vote and we help people start businesses. So, of course, Mm -hmm. I serve as the chief elections officer. We work with our boards of elections to help people have free and fair elections in Ohio. That's one part of the job that I love. But 
just as important is the side of the office where we're the front door for all new businesses. So when right. somebody wants to form their LLC or their S corp or even their nonprofit corporation, that that begins at the Ohio Secretary of State's office. So we're kind of that funnel point. Every new entrepreneur, everybody that wants to start an enterprise, has to sort of come through our door or virtually come through our door with our with our website, which is where ninety eight percent of the the folks do their their business filings at this point. But um, you know, we viewed that as an opportunity. Uh, and so one of the first things that, that we did was um, let's let's start connecting entrepreneurs with the resources that already exist. Let's be that matchmaker. And actually mm-hmm. what this came out of is a series of small business roundtables that I did around the state. Um, we went out to listen to the people that know best. What are the barriers? What are the problems? And one of the things I heard was, you know, I was in business for 10 years before I realized that there was this SBA program that existed, or I was in business for, 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 for years before I realized that there was this state program that I could take advantage of. There's a lot of great stuff out there. We don't need to create more government and reinvent the wheel by creating new new programs necessarily, although sometimes mm-hmm. there's a need for that. But what our office can do is sort of connect entrepreneurs up with the tools that 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 can help them put a little bit of rocket fuel in their tank uh, as they start their business. And so uh, that's one of the things that we started doing right there on our website. So on day one, the day that we give you your articles of incorporation, we also say, here's a list of resources. And by the way, we're working to constantly grow that and develop it and, and, and vet those and make them better. But like, don't hunt for them or spend, you know, your valuable time as an entrepreneur looking for these state, local and federal, and for that matter, nonprofit uh, organizations that can help you as an entrepreneur. Here they are. And so that's something that, that we started doing. Uh, something else that, that I'm just passionate about is encouraging entrepreneurship. It's something right. that we should be talking about. We should be talking about the value of risk-taking. Listen, as parents, I think that we, we, we drill into our kids to be safe, to not take chances and that kind of thing. And that's fine. I, I understand that. But we also need to extol the virtues of, of, of risk-taking, right? right? And that doesn't mean that, that you're foolish about it. But that means that, that, that people that are willing to take risk, people that are willing to go out and try something new are the ones uh, that, that are going to reap the rewards and, and, and potentially and, and also uh, sustain the losses if that's the case. But we're, we're a nation of, 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 of bold uh, entrepreneurial people, at least we have been historically, and we ought not lose that, right? A lot of that has been fed uh, over our history um, by things like the westward migration, like mm-hmm. the influx of immigrants that were coming to this country because they had that that bold American dream. I mean, that's my, my family's history. My great-grandfather immigrated from Italy. He didn't have much to lose, right? Like he was, <laughs> he, he, he was desperate. Uh, and so he came to the United States with this dream that he was going to start a business, and he did that uh, right here in Ohio, and he, he built an enterprise that still exists today. Um, and so, you know, that, that entrepreneurial spirit is something that we need to talk about and encourage. I know that that's something that you do. And then finally, we're doing some work right now to really encourage entrepreneurship in the minority community. There's a great history there, and it's born out of um, uh, necessity, like most things, where uh, entrepreneurial uh, uh, energy existed in the minority community because people wouldn't hire them, because they didn't have uh, certain services or, or, or products available in their neighborhoods. And so they said, you know what, we'll do it ourselves. That's the human spirit, right? Mm-hmm. Well, that same entrepreneurial spirit is alive and well for new American immigrants that are still coming to this country, for minority communities that are traditionally underserved. And there's some things that we need to do uh, to, to 
to assist with that. One of them uh, that I'm working on right now across the street at the state house is making the MBE program less bureaucratic to, to become a a certified minority business enterprise or a, or or, or uh, uh, one of there's a, a lot of different classifications and a lot of different acronyms. But the basic idea uh, is that you shouldn't have to go through this bureaucratic process over and over again. You should be able to to get a a certification one time and then use that to compete as a MBE all throughout the state. So these are a variety of things that, that we're working on. I'm all ears for uh, things that we can continue to do. Uh, when I served in the state legislature, I had a real focus on reducing taxes and reducing regulations. That continues to be a priority. Um, mm -hmm. I think that Ohio is a business-friendly state, but I think that we've got further to go. And, and I think that, that, that there's a lot of great energy right there in the Mahoning Valley. Do you think, uh, do we have to plant these seeds of entrepreneurship in middle school? Like how far back do we go? You, you know, is this something that, um, I don't know. What do you think about that? How, think, how do kids yeah, get I mean, this spirit? Just as a parent, um, you know, I've encouraged my girls. They wanted to do the lemonade stand thing or whatever <laughs> else. And, and we laugh, but that's a it's a great experience for them to, to, to understand, you know, the, the, what work has to go into to, to starting a business and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, my dad uh, has been over the years a, a volunteer with a group called Junior Achievement that goes in to schools and talks about entrepreneurship. Um, you know, I just think that, that, that there's a variety of different ways that we can do it. But yeah, it has to start at the younger ages. Uh, it has to start with each of us as, as mentors. I think that anytime any of us take the opportunity to mentor a young person, that's time well spent. Um, one of the things that I've done, I, I've got a, a, a small platform as the Secretary of State to try to shine a light on things. Uh, there's an example a couple of weeks ago where there was a young woman uh, who uh, who wanted to start a business. I think it was selling chocolates. And uh, her parents gave her an LLC registration as her Christmas gift through our office. And um, and so we highlighted that on social media. Uh, there, there's another example of a woman here in Columbus who was uh, concerned uh, over the summer and was engaged over last summer, engaged in, in, in this very difficult but necessary conversation about racial justice and that kind of thing. And, and her inspiration was that one of the best ways to help bring prosperity uh, to her community uh, and she's an African-American woman, uh, is to help encourage entrepreneurship. And so she started mm -hmm. a Facebook group to talk about, you should start a business, you should build generational wealth that you can pass on to your children. And, 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 and so we highlighted her uh, late last year uh, in, a, uh, in an event that we did online as well. So it's just taking those opportunities to really point out where good things are happening out in the community is another thing. So beyond forms and filings, actually the, uh, a source of inspiration, right? I mean, that's really what we have to do. Set examples, lead by example, and provide a source of inspiration. Each of us, right? And, and I know right. that a lot of your listeners are business owners. Um, I, I met a guy in, in Dayton uh, a couple of years ago who owns a manufacturing company, and he was concerned about trying to hire people to come in and work for him and people not being interested in going into the world of manufacturing because, you know, they'd been told by their parents that that may be not a good 
path for him. And so he started a robot war competition in his warehouse where he would clear out a bunch of pallets uh, and let kids come in. And he paid for it. He would give them the parts and they would build stuff and they would battle the, you know, you've seen the show on t- whatever. As a business owner, uh, the people that listen to, to your podcast, Jeff, are very well positioned to mentor young people, to find ways to inspire young people, to encourage them uh, to, to look at entrepreneurship as a, as a path as well. Absolutely. So to wrap things up, uh, where do you see the Mahoning Valley? So from your, you have a unique perspective being a Northeast Ohio resident and you see the momentum happening here. Now you're in Columbus looking from a statewide perspective. I mean, do you have any recommendations or maybe challenges? I I love the entrepreneurship perspective, right? Just get kids involved early um, on their level. But uh, where do you see us going here in the near term? So first of all, I'm I'm very enthusiastic about the opportunities for the Mahoning Valley because I think that 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 right there in Northeast Ohio, right there in the Mahoning Valley, we have something that is in short demand in other places, um, and and that is uh, you know we have a, a great work ethic, we have skilled tradesmen and women, people that mm-hmm. know how to work with their hands, which is an honorable profession. We need to to talk about that. Not everybody needs to go get a you know traditional liberal arts education. Education. Um, it's great to go get a degree in British literature, but the British literature factory isn't hiring lately, right? Like, and I don't mean to, I, I don't mean to, to downplay the importance of, of, of those kind of pursuits, but right there in the Youngstown area, we got people that know how to make things, and so right. we, we should focus on uh, on our strengths, right? Any 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 good business knows to to focus on their strengths. So advanced manufacturing, building things, making things, and it doesn't necessarily mean uh, the old industries that our grandparents worked in, many of those we're, we're not going to see come back in the traditional sense uh, that, that some may have predicted. But what we are going to see is some of those advanced manufacturing. There's always going to be a need for high quality manufacturing to build the things, whatever those things may be, uh, that our society needs to, to, to thrive and prosper. And I think that Youngstown's a great place to do it first and foremost because of the people. The, the, the people right. that have the work ethic and the skills, but also we're in a great location logistically. You've heard before that from right there in Northeast Ohio, you're a one day's drive from, I think, 60% of the U.S. population. You can reach the East Coast, you can reach Chicago, you can reach down uh, into parts of the Southeast in this country. And so from right there in, in Northeast Ohio is a great place to build things and then access the markets that really matter right here in the United States. And so I think there's a great opportunity and I want to see it continue. Absolutely. Loading dock of the Midwest, right? We can get things moving from here. Yep. Well, Secretary of State Frank LaRose, thanks so much. You've been generous with your time today. Great to get to know you better here on the Brain Gain Youngstown Leadership Podcast. Uh, what's, what's, what's in store for you in the future? What are you looking at here a couple of years out? Any plans? Yeah, no, I think that there's a problem sometimes where people in my line of work are busy thinking about the next job. And I don't mean that ambition's a bad thing, but if you're serving in a government position and all you're thinking about is the next position that you can run for, then you're probably doing it wrong. I love this job because of the mission. Uh, Again, we help people vote and we help people start businesses. And so uh, those are things that are foundational to our way of life. I love them. I love serving as Ohio Secretary of State. I'm working to hopefully earn re-election, uh, which will be in a short time. And so that's something I'm going to continue to continue to focus on. And who knows what the future may hold at, at 41 years old. I've got, uh, you know, uh, I got some runway still in front yeah. of me. 
um, you know, we'll, we'll see where, 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 where that goes. And uh, I just appreciate the conversation. And I hope, uh, I hope that your, uh, that, that your viewers of your podcast stay involved in, in, in this conversation as well. I'd invite people to give me a follow on social media. It's just my name at Frank LaRose on all the different platforms. And so the conversation can continue there. Frank, you've got a LinkedIn game going. I know I saw the videos, you were crushing it the first of the year. So good for you on your LinkedIn game. That's where I spend most of my time. I don't mess with Facebook so much, but. Uh... I pre- well, I, I, I wish I could shut it all off candidly. <laughs> But as a, as a public servant, you got to engage in yeah. those social media conversations. But I try to keep it, at, you know, at a thoughtful, civil level. There's just Absolutely. too much, uh, too much uh, personal attacks and nastiness. And, uh, you know, how about we talk about ideas and, and issues and how we move forward instead of just attacking people all the time? I guess that's my admonition. And so, yeah, some of the nonsense on social media, the trolls and all of that, I just ignore. But when I can talk Not about productive. positive content out there, that's exactly what I want to do. Great. Well, excellent. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today, because together we're building a culture of entrepreneurship and promoting workforce development. So if you like what you heard, please share it with a friend and leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Your feedback is very important to us. We want to make the show better all the time. And if you would like to give me direct feedback, email me, please. My email is j. H-E-R-R-M-A-N-N at business-journal.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. And lastly, would love to thank the members of the Brain Gain Coalition. Those headline collaborators include Farmers National Bank, Sweeney Chevrolet Buick GMC, the Mahoney Valley Manufacturers Coalition, and Southwoods Health. And joining them are members of the coalition including Eastern Gateway Community College, PNC Bank, the Moransky Companies, MCCTC, the Mahoney County Career and Technical Center, the Youngstown Business Incubator, Simon Roofing, the DeBartolo Corporation, Youngstown State University, and Junior Achievement of Mahoney Valley. Without them, none of this would be possible. So thanks again for joining us today. And remember, together we are building a culture of entrepreneurship and promoting workforce development.